That was scary. Hopefully I don't step back and slip. Good morning. Glad you're here. Um, we're wrapping up that series today, and uh, that's a very well done intro. Uh, I'd just like to comment on it. Just that the, the Trojan fight song gets a bigger response here than it does in our Diamond Bar campus because we have several SC students. And then I'm not sure on this side, you know, I'm a grandparent, and on this side, I'm not sure too much of family is is a bad thing. <laughs> so I don't know if you caught that in the song, but family's a good thing. We're looking at what God intends uh, for our family circles, what He'd like to see happening in them. And this is Memorial Day weekend, and I, I don't know if there are any here who have served in the U.S. military in any way, uh, but if you have, could you raise your hand? Uh, I don't see anyone. Maybe, oh, Jason, there you go. All right. Well, we really thank you. We're, I really appreciate the service. There's on the Google homepage, uh, I think it was Thursday, it was actually Memorial Day, and there was a, the picture of a, a little girl running into a soldier's arms who had just come back and reminded me of the, the sacrifice that families make, soldiers and their families, and we, we deeply appreciate that and just the service there. Over the last few weeks, uh, Alex has been here and he's been walking through uh, what God wants to go on inside our family circles and in any circle that we relate in, really, but he really wants us to experience the best we can uh, out of our uh, circles and enjoy them, especially our families, and allow them to become a place where we can grow and help each other to do what God wants us to do in life. I know that I have a picture, I have an ideal picture of what I want family life to be like, what it should be like, we all probably do, and then there's what it really is, there's this gap <laughs> between the ideal and what's real. And what we've really been looking at is how, how do you deal with those gaps? How do you close the gap between the ideal and the real? And then how do you respond? Because this side of heaven, there's going to always be a gap. So we, we need to know how to respond in the mi- middle of that, in the, in the midst of the, the reality that we live in. So before we launch into today, I'd like to review where we've been. Uh, family circles uh, have been a message series where first off, the week one, we looked at getting the right things, trying to get the right things from the wrong place is what we dug into. Unmet expectations unravel family life. If we don't know what to do with those, that's a gap. We have an expectation. And sometimes there's a gap. And we need to know what to do with that. We tend to put pressure on our family to meet our expectation, to meet our deepest needs, when in reality, only God can do that. And so you respond to the gap by trusting God to meet your expectations and then setting your heart to bless others, setting your heart to meet their needs. And as you do that, you're refreshed. That's what Scripture says. Week two, we looked at yours, mine, and ours. Boundaries. Uh, we looked at the major, a major problem that creates trouble in families and family life. 
And that's when we blur the boundary lines. When we blur the boundary lines between my stewardship, what God has given me responsibility for, my load to carry, and your load to carry. When we just blur those boundary lines and don't pretend, pretend like they're not there, then growth is hindered. What, what God intends to happen inside the family is stunted. We don't tend to grow to maturity like he intends. We don't encourage one another as we carry the load. It's all mixed in there. And uh, when we take care of, when we step in constantly, take care of what somebody else's responsibility, it creates frustration and tension and uh, there's some struggle. So we looked at how we need to respect the boundaries and do what's most loving in a particular instance. Sometimes that means I step in to help. But often it means that I, I do what I can, but I allow others to carry their load that God's given them to, to carry. Because carrying our weight turns out to be a major, major training tool that God uses to build us up. And so love thinks that through. Today we're going to talk about up we go. Up we go. You ever hear somebody say that to a toddler like they're, they're in the kitchen, maybe mom's cooking and the toddler you know they can't see up on the counter so it's like up we go you put them on the counter so they get a better viewpoint that's what my mom used to say so I started saying it you know things like that happen when you're when you when you have kids of your own you hear oh I've heard that before that was that was what my mom used to say and I you know you're at in a crowd you don't have a good vantage point you take your child put them here you go I want you to be able to see what's going on that's that's what we're talking about. That's the direction particularly that God wants our communication to take one another up. We're going to talk about communication. Um, it's a major source of problem and pain. It's a major source of the gap between the ideal and the real in our families and within the family circle. Our words fill the atmosphere in our families. And they either make it easy to breathe or difficult, sort of stifling. Air quality is a major factor. We're very well aware of this in L.A., aren't we? Air quality is a major factor for the health of human beings. In Diamond Bar, a big air, air quality management district building, huge. We, we think about this because it's important to our health. It's, it's a physical reality, and in relationships, the air quality determines how healthy the relationships are. And the reality is that our words are the very things that fill this atmosphere. And so God's given us some help for choosing the right words that will really fill the air with the right kind of atmosphere for growth. And enjoyment. For me personally, communication and my words are something I have to constantly work on. I, I have to, there's stuff I say that I regret. There are things I didn't say I wish I did say. And then there's the whole question of what I said, what I thought I communicated, and then what they really understood and how those match up, how that all lines up. It, it can become a whole tangled mess of problems and pain for me and those I really care about. Thankfully, the Bible gives us some, some real help. And the perspective you find in Scripture is 
that the tongue's like a wildfire. It says that people have learned how to tame every kind of animal, but they can't tame, tame the tongue. Just can't do it. You contain a wildfire. You can contain animals, but you, you contain a wildfire. And so restraint turns out to be a very important thing when we're talking about our words. Let's take pause for a moment. Take 15 seconds and think this through. How do you tend to communicate with those in your family circle? You may be the talker. You're the one filling the air with all the words. You might be unengaged and the avoider. You're sort of detached. You're to yourself. I'm an introvert. I have to fight that. You might be distracted. Conversations going all, it's going on all around you and you're, you're focused on something else. Or you might be the salesman trying to seal the deal to get what you want, trying to negotiate. Which one are you? How do you tend to use your words in the family circle? Whichever you are, I would imagine you have a, a native reflex. You have a default mode, and it's very easy to fall into that default mode with our words. If we don't take steps toward healthy communication, our relationships suffer. So I want to look, first of all, before we dive into what Scripture says about the matter, to look at some common communication patterns that frustrate and damage relationships over time. First one, avoiding important issues. I got a kick out of this when one of the very first times I visited my, my uh, son and his wife after our grandson was born, uh, Thad was trying to help me connect to Blake. Blake was about one, and I was on the phone answering a text or something, and Thad said, you know, he doesn't like that. Blake doesn't like that because it's, you know, you're paying attention to the phone and not him. And I thought, okay. <laughs> I put the phone away. I appreciated the coaching, and I, I tried to avoid the phone. Technology, a lot of times, comes between us and the people we're trying to talk to. We're avoiding important issues, maybe not so intentionally, but because we're distracted and we don't even know what's going on, or we didn't catch the whole sentence. We caught maybe the first couple words, and then ding, the text comes in, and we're on the text. Very, very dangerous thing. When we're distracted, we don't always see the important issues. And then fear and anxiety also cause us to, to dance around the important issues. It, 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 they cause us, if we allow them to, to completely avoid what we really need to talk about. Because in any relationship, things uh, need to be discussed that are going to build trust and help us come to mutual understanding. Things like in, in parenting, how the kids are doing. Or just in any relationship, what's going on with you? What's, what's happening? What's t- what's, you know, there's what you see outside, and then there's all the stuff that's going on on the inside. In a marriage, just sharing the ups and downs in lo- of life are important. Um, coordinating with the family, details of the calendar. Heart-to-heart stuff. What are you learning? What are you struggling with? What, are you, what problems are you working through are crucial for a marriage just to get those out? 
Um, and then just maybe the state of the marriage. My wife rarely has to clue me in to the state of the marriage, and I appreciate that. Just this is what's going on. We, we can avoid these important conversations in a few ways. One way is we just shut down. We can talk about that later. Don't want to talk about that. Guys do this when there's a game on. i got to watch this game. I want to get into this. Um, and we just shut everything down. We're, we're distracted. Um, and then being sarcastic or biting is a way that, that I think the fear, the anxiety comes out. And then we avoid the issue in that way. Something may bother us. But instead of bringing it out in the open and talking about it in a gentle way, we make a sarcastic comment to deflect. That deflects what's really going on. A great deal of coldness exists in our families. That's the atmosphere. It gets cold when we relate this way. Very important to move away from that. So avoiding important issues is one strategy that frustrates. Another one is not listening, just flat not listening. We can plug our ears with wax in a variety of ways um, by not paying attention, focusing on only our concerns in in a given conversation or moment. Sometimes we assume that the other person knows what we're thinking. And this circumvents, since they already know what uh, uh, I'm thinking, then I don't say anything that I assume they know. I assume I know what they're thinking. And then I don't need to listen to them because I've already settled it in my mind and come out with my conclusion. Boom, here it is. Sometimes um, this all circumvents the need to listen. It's important to ask questions just to talk, just to carry on a conversation. And then the last strategy is becoming overly emotional in in our communication. When the flood of emotions hit... Any productive communication is greatly diminished. And so we need to try to hold those off. Restrain, contain, contain the wildfire. Uh, The fire gets lit sometimes in the first few words. And it's best to contain the emotions rather than just let them fly. Responding in anger uh, and forcing a point only escalates the problem or shuts down communication completely. And we need to watch that. Uh, sometimes we get overly upset and we use upset. One, one thing we do is we use anger to sort of control and then we use just getting upset, emotionally upset to uh, shut people down and to steer the, the conversation in the direction that we want it to go. Um, these strategies... They fuel us to react and speak out of hurt and anger. In fact, Bible leans on the side of containing, like I said. Containing the fire of our words, not gushing or venting. We're going to look at several passages from Proverbs today. Proverbs was written by Solomon. And Solomon was given a choice by God uh, uh, that he could have anything he wanted in the entire world. And he chose wisdom. So here's an ancient king that chose wisdom. And he wrote down in Proverbs his short understandings of life. And if you read through those, they pierce to the heart of issues. And so he had a lot to say about words, about communication. And so we're going to dig in today 
uh, on many of the passages that he, he said, some of the things he said about words. And in Proverbs 29.11, this is what he said. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. I have that memorized in another version. It says, fools give full vent to their anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. You hold back your emotions. You contain yourself. And then you use your words for a very important purpose. To fill the atmosphere with healthy air. That's what we want to do. These things tear down. Those strategies we just looked at, they tear down. But genuine love looks to the interests of the other folks around and sets to use our words to build up. Up we go. To lift people up and help them to do what God has called them to do. Now, here are some important scriptural guidelines. Two major guidelines you find in the Bible for communication. Number one, always aim to build. We always want to build up rather than tear down. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Corrupting means rotten or worthless. Rotten stuff stinks. And when you use rotten words that are worthless, they're actually either worthless or hurtful, the air begins to stink. So you delete these words. Let no corrupting talk talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Same word for constructing a house. That's that word building up. So like the word we get architect from. The idea is an architect. So the work of an architect is to think through the best way to build the house to accomplish the purpose for which it's going to be used. So they lay the plans. So this is how we're to use our words. We stop. We don't let the corrupting words out. The evil talk, the the selfish talk. We stop that. We delete that. And then we think through how to use our words in a way that are going to build up. That fit the occasion. Timing is crucial for great communication. That it may give grace to those who hear. Let's walk back through that. Here are some very helpful tips we get from this passage. Let no corrupting talk come out of your, your, your mouth. Don't say anything that's worthless and doesn't help. Just don't say it. And after you've said something, if you realize it stinks or it didn't help, we need to go back. If we can't delete it before it comes out of our mouth, then we need to go back. and shouldn't have said that. Will you forgive me? And humbling yourself before people, when you do stink up the air with your words, motivates you to delete next time. I've been there many, many times. I say, oh, why did I say that? Then I get it right, and I'm motivated now to delete. Only such as is good for building up. Use words and a tone that are going to best help the other person build their life. That's what we're told to do. Only those that are good for building up. Those are the only ones we're to speak. This means we have to think about the big picture of life, what the person's going through, what they're dealing with, and use words that are going to help them with that. To do this, 
We have to think ahead and say more than what's going to make the person feel good in the moment. We have to think long term and help them in the long term. As fits the occasion, the best thing to say right now might not be what they need to hear eventually. But sometimes when, if you're objective, if you can be detached from whatever someone's going through, you want to say what you think they need to hear, and that may not be the best time. Communication's an art form. You kind of have to learn how to be more and more effective at it. And often I'm asking God for help in the moment as I'm talking with folks about what's going on in their life. And then here's the goal, that it may give grace to those who hear. Our speech, if, if anything is going to fill the air with good stuff to breathe, it's grace. God is gracious not to give us what we deserve, but He gives us what we really need. When we turn to God, He, he loves us so much that He pours His mercy into our hearts. He, he, he's kind to us. He accepts us when we, you know, Scripture says we're born going our own way. When we turn around from going our own way and decide to give our life to following God through Christ, God gives grace. He gives grace. He's gracious. And this should be the flavor of our speech. A focus on words that give grace strengthens. A focus on rules or law weakens people. So we want to focus on grace. I try to pay attention myself to the impact of my words. When I say something, are people more motivated or are they less motivated? Are they more encouraged or are they less discouraged? Or are they discouraged, more discouraged? And nonverbal cues help with this. Like I try to look. When I said that, did they wince? Did they go blank? Did, did, or did they soften? Did it seem to impact? Did it seem to have the impact they wanted? Th- this may not change what you say, but it can guide how you say it as you watch how people are responding. I spoke in Brawley uh, last month. Uh, Ray and Sarah, our mentor, were members of our congregation. They were part of the USC Challenge group, and they moved to Brawley, and he asked me to come out there. They're without a pastor and speak. And before we got up to speak, they stood, Ray and Sarah both, gave some encouragement, just some very gracious words. I thought they were gracious because they were talking about how uh, God had used us to help them in their walk with God and encourage them in ministry in different ways. And I thought they were gracious because don't you always feel like you could do more? I mean, I do. I mean, there's what I've done. And then... You know, yeah, I know you feel that way, but I, I could have done a lot more. You know, because that's how we live. There's always more that we could do. But those words in that moment were very strengthening to me. It was, they were gracious words that really encouraged my heart. And they gave strength. And it made me want to do more of what I do all the time. It made me want to keep going. And that's what gracious words do. They strengthen. They encourage. They put courage into us. They make us want to do what we should be doing. 
Those are the words. That's a major guideline for the words that should be filling the air around us, that we should fill the air with, for sure. We, we need to point out what others are doing right more often because I guarantee in, their, in the minds of most people, they're thinking, you know, I should probably be doing more. They're already struggling with guilt and condemnation. And grace really builds up and gives us what we need to keep moving. Second major guideline is to seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Now, this is a tough one. But look at James. This is another uh, book. This book's in the New Testament, written by half-brother of Jesus. And in this book, there's packed with a bunch of wisdom as well. It's called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And in this book, James 1.19, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is what we've been talking about. You listen first before you speak, and then you restrain your emotions. You hold them back so that you can use words that are appropriate, timely, helpful. Check that out. We're told to listen first before we speak or get our emotions involved. That's, that's what we're to do. This gives us time to shift our focus. I don't know about you, but my native reflex is focus on my needs. I get together with a friend or I'm with a family member and I'm thinking, I just need to get this off my chest. I need to unload this stuff and let you know what's going on with me. But if we're, if we're quick to listen, if we, if we listen first, if we hear first, it gives us time to begin to focus on their needs over mine before we let them know what's going on. And we can love people this way just by listening. What's going to really encourage them? In conflict, it's very easy to focus on being understood more than on understanding. Like a pro running back who's got the football and they're charging, they don't care who they run over. They're not supposed to care. That's what they get paid to do, to run over people. But sometimes in communication, we're like a running back who's got the ball and we're going for the goal. We don't care who we hurt, who we run over, whatever. We're gonna, we just want to win the argument. We just want to make our point. We want to let them know what's going on with us. And in reality, blowing up in anger is going to delay or even block settling the conflict. It's going to put it off. So holding back is a very important thing. Seeking to understand what's going on before we seek to under, uh, be understood is pretty important. Venting and gushing may make us feel better for only a moment compared to the long-lasting benefits of mutual understanding. So that's, that's the goal. I want to wrap up this morning by walking through what to say from scriptural perspective, and what to delete. There's some very clear guidance in this. What should we say? What should we delete? Scripture says that we should speak words that are kind and considerate and delete words that are rash. First comparison there. Proverbs 31.26, written about a superwoman. Superman's coming out in June. We're going to look at the message behind that movie. But Proverbs 31, Superwoman. And it's, it's written about a wife and mother. And it talks about 
how she, how she handles life, how she really blesses her family. And when it talked about her speech, this is what it says. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is, is on her tongue. Now, we could all learn from her, from Proverbs 31, Superwoman. Um, a good mom is saying what the kids need to hear in order to grow up into adults that do well in life. This is the teaching of kindness that's on her tongue. She's not just responding in the moment, but she's thinking ahead. What are they going to need? What do they need right now? What's the best thing for me to say? How, how do I couch this? To be kind in speech means that you think ahead and consider what someone really needs and then you give them what they need. They may need correction. They may need coaching. Or they may need comfort. Some, sometimes they need correction. They need to know uh, that they're veering off course here. They're going the wrong direction. They may need to be straightened out. Um, they need to know that what they're doing is not good, where it's going to take them if they continue to do it, how it's hurting them now, how it's going to hurt the pe- or how it's hurting the people around them, and how it's going to hurt them in the future. That's correction. They may need coaching. Coaching. It it, it could be that the the person, the kids, or the person, the friend, or the coworker, or the family member. They just need some perspective. They need some coaching. They've never thought about this problem before. And it's not that they're being stubborn or disobedient. They just don't know. They, they don't know how to handle it. You can find that out through some questions. They may need comfort. That's, that's another possibility. To help them recover from a rough experience and get moving again. There's, there's several options in how you're going to respond. If you're listening, you can pick out which one's the best. Many times with, with God's help, with the help of the Lord Jesus. He, he can guide you in this. Kindness, the teaching of kindness, thinks through what the other person needs and doesn't use words selfishly. That's, that's what Proverbs 31 is saying. If you overuse correction... It starts to be to feel like criticism, and people tune you out. Your kids, the people around you. If you're if you're kind of a person who's grumbling all the time, correcting, you get tuned out. It's it's translated as criticism, and that fills the air with a very stifling kind of environment that's hard to breathe. If you always comfort. The people around you, and especially your kids, it does damage in the long term because they need to learn how to carry their load themselves. So if you overuse correction or, or comforting, it does damage and it's not really helping. So we have to think about this. When, when you and I use words to build and help others with their goals, not ours, that's kindness. That's how we show kindness. Um, To speak words that are kind and considerate, we must engage our mind before our mouth. Proverbs 12, 18. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Don't get in the habit of letting your words fly. That can really hurt. That's what that's saying. Next, we should speak words that are gracious and delete words that are harsh. 
Proverbs 16.24, we've already talked about this. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Some of us have a voice inside of us that speaks condemning words. I fight this. Just voice that gets down on us. You're not doing enough. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't do that. What are you thinking? That was stupid. If our family circles are filled with harsh and critical words, critical tones and attitudes, they taste like poison and they have the same effect. It can poison us throughout our life. When, when someone uses words that are gracious and gentle instead of critical and judgmental, boy, that's sweet like honey. Fills the air with a sweetness. And this opens us up to more dialogue and conversation. It helps us want to hear the words of instruction or correction or coaching that we may need. In a conflict, it's important to keep the volume down and avoid harsh words that light the fuse of anger. Proverbs 15.1 A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So we keep the volume down. Next, we're instructed to speak words that commend knowledge and delete words that pour out folly. Proverbs 15.2 The tongue of the wise commends knowledge. This takes thought. You have to think through. To commend knowledge, I can't be random. I can't just let my words fly. I've got to give thought to this. But the mouth of fools pour out folly. So the wise commend knowledge, fools pour out folly. Next, to build others up, I speak words that are gentle and I delete words that are perverse. Proverbs 15.4 A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Right kind of words, they're life-giving. They're curative like medicine. They, they fit the situation and they really give the boost that's needed or the nudge that's needed or the direction to go in the right way. Perverse words break the spirit of a person. The goal in parenting is to break the will of a child, which is where rebellion resides, and strengthen their spirit. We don't separate these very often, but this is the goal. Vicious words that reflect selfish goals are rash, harsh, critical, full of folly, and they break the spirit. Words that are kind, considerate, gracious. They commend knowledge. They're gentle. They provide the recipe for the atmosphere and family life that builds a strong spirit in a person and allows you to do the correction that will break the will of the child as you're strengthening their spirit. With adults, if you live on the right side of that chart on your listening guide, you can see it. Uh, if you live on the right side, the words that you should be deleting, people begin to stay away from you. They will either resent you or become bitter and begin to tune you out completely. So it's very important to live on the left side. Here's some perspective tucked into Proverbs 15 that we've been looking at uh, in these last comparisons. God is watching all that goes on inside the family circle. This motivates me to be gracious because he's been so gracious with me. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He's, he's watching what goes on in the family circles. That in and of itself motivates me to watch what I say. God, would you please help me to use words that build and encourage others. Can you imagine how marriages would be 
how much more refreshing they would be if each of us looked to build and seek to understand and meet the needs of those that we're talking to in the family, in the marriage? How would the atmosphere in your family change? How, how would our kids respond to gracious speech, which communicates love and concern as we do the correcting that we need to do? At Church of the Valley, as people come and visit, we, we want to be gracious. We want to be refreshing and fill the, the atmosphere with those kinds of words. I'd like to wrap up the message today uh, by asking you to think through some next steps. We have several listed on the back of your connection card. You can check those out. But these are ways that you can take a step to do something about what we've looked at this morning and what we've heard. Uh, the first step would be to memorize Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Look over that chart on the listening guide real quickly, if you would. You may want to circle or draw a star by one of those comparisons. Ask God, this is a step, ask God to help me delete these kinds of words and speak these words. Maybe that's another step that God would, would want you to take. Next, I will work on listening more to fill in a name. Maybe even just letting it fly, venting or gushing, whatever. And you need to listen. You realize you need to listen to some, some more to some people around. Um, the Box Office Wisdom Series can be fun, very helpful series. That's a step you could take. Who will I invite to the Box Office Wisdom Series that begins? Really, it launches on the 9th, but next week we're going to take a step back and look at how to read movies and how to compare them to what God says in, in His Word. There's some other steps you could take related to Church of the Valley as well. I'd like to ask the band to come up as I pray. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word and Your goodness to us, God. As we get into Your Word, it's so practical and helpful. And God, I pray that You would help us to take the things You've said to us today and step out to... Make changes beginning this week, beginning this day. We can work on this stuff right now. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us that by the power of your Holy Spirit. You'd give us what we need to take the steps of obedience, to say things that bless people and really honor you. We ask for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.